Today's passage is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And before I read that, we know this, that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so we want to hear these words as powerful words from the living God. So College Church, hear God's word, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask that you would minister to us and meet us as we open up your word And as we submit ourselves to it and hear all that you would want to speak to us through it, would you change us and shape us and transform us and conform us into the image of your Son as we receive this word by faith and in obedience. And we pray this for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, oh, dear brother... Trouble weighs a ton. Oh, dear sister, trouble weighs a ton. Oh, dear mother, trouble weighs a ton. So says Dan Auerbach in one of his songs, Trouble Weighs a Ton. And I think that's an apt description for the church today which faces trouble from many directions, and it weighs a ton. Think about it. Many are anxious about the hostile political climate that we live in and its potential impact on the church. Others are discouraged by an onslaught of verbal attacks on the church. Families are burdened with how to live for Christ In the school systems, employees are pressured to embrace cultural values that may conflict with their biblical belief, even at the threat of losing their job. See, trouble is coming at the church in many directions, and trouble weighs a ton. How is it that the church can bear the weight of troubled times? 
And how is it that the church can bear witness to a troubled world? Today, we come to a text where first Peter chapter 2 and Peter's audience were going through the exact same things as we are today. As it was for them, so it is for us today. They face trouble and so do we. And in 1 Peter, we learn that these churches were grieved by various trials. Their society was speaking against them. They suffered for doing good. They were reviled. They were maligned. They were insulted. All because of Jesus. They faced trouble. And it weighed a ton. And so what Peter did is he wrote this letter to strengthen churches under the weight of troubled times. But not only to strengthen these churches, but Peter wrote to help them persevere in faith, yes, but also to shape this church in how they would bear witness to Jesus in a troubled world so that they might proclaim Christ. We haven't been in 1 Peter, so it's helpful for us to get a little bit of a grasp of the book. In chapter 1, verse 1, Peter describes these churches with this phrase, elect Exiles, And that's helpful for actually outlining the book of 1 Peter. Because in chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, Peter is emphasizing that the church is chosen by God with a glorious identity in Christ. They are elect. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11, Peter begins to emphasize that Christians are also exiles in this world, called to influence the world for Christ. Exiles. And so our text, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, it is at the end of Peter's first section, and it's the climactic summary of the church's identity intended to encourage discouraged Christians. But it's also the foundation upon which Peter will build his whole argument in the next section about how the church is to rightly engage society. So I wonder this morning, are you burdened by troubled times? I wonder if you're confused about engaging with a troubled world. This text today It is aimed at convincing us of this. The church's identity strengthens and shapes us for troubled times. The church's identity is intended to provide strength for the church to bear that weight of troubled times. And the church's identity is intended to shape the church to bear witness to a troubled world, even though trouble may weigh a ton And how he's going to outline this identity for us in these verses is that the church is God's spiritual house and the church is God's treasured people. Spiritual house, treasured people, the church's identity. So let's look at verses four to eight. First, this image of a spiritual house. Because the language in verses four to five It relates to the image of the Old Testament temple, God's house. And what Peter is doing here is he applies this imagery to the church to emphasize the great privileges that God's people have, the church has as God's spiritual house. 
And so starting in verse four, he, he lays the foundation of the house, which is ultimately Jesus Christ. Though he was rejected in his death on the cross, he rose again and now he lives. And those who come to Jesus, the living stone by faith, are made spiritually alive like living stones in God's spiritual house. But what Peter is doing here is outlining for us the wonderful privileges that this means for the church, just like the Old Testament temple. Because what's true about the Old Testament temple is that the Old Testament temple was where God's glorious presence dwelt with and among his people. It was the center of Israel's life. And it was at the center of what God was doing in the world And now Peter is saying, when we come to Jesus, we become the stones of God's spiritual house, which means what? It means that God's glorious, powerful presence now resides in us as God's church. It's not in a place, it's in a people, the church. What a privilege. What a privilege. God's presence is now within and is among believers. God is not distant. God is not far off. We do not have to go to a certain place here on this earth. We need to come to Jesus, and in doing so, we become God's dwelling place, the church. The church is now at the center of what God is doing in the world and for the world. When you come to Christ, you become a living stone That is a part of God's spiritual house. But not only are we stones to this house, Peter goes on to say we're also servants in this house, a holy priesthood. In Israel, this priesthood was a small group from the tribe of Levi who served the temple by offering sacrifices to God for the people. Privileged position a special position, a set-apart role for a few. But now Peter says, hey, church, guess what? You are a holy priesthood. Talk about a mic drop. (laughs) Peter speaking these words to strengthen and encourage this church going through troubled times and saying, think about the privileges that you have when you come to Christ, access to God, servants of God, living stones, God's very presence dwelling in us, servants with the special privilege of serving the living God. Church, hear this from 1 Peter chapter 2, we have great privileges when we come to Jesus. But Peter goes on to say that we also have a great purpose. In verse five, instead of offering animal sacrifices to God, as God's holy priesthood, we're set apart to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. By the Spirit, through the Son, we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We offer our very lives to God. Wayne Grudem notes, he says this about how the New Testament describes our spiritual sacrifices. 
He says our spiritual sacrifices as the church are as an offering of our bodies to God for his service, as an offering of our gifts to enable the advancement of the gospel, as an offering of our lips to the praise of God, as an offering of our resources to share with those that are in need. More simply, as a holy priesthood and dwelt by the Spirit of the living God, we are offering spiritual sacrifices, namely our whole selves, our whole lives, to God and to his worship and service. Church, we are living stones in Christ. We are servants of God with great purpose and great privilege. But he goes on in verses 6 to 8 to say we also can have great confidence even and especially in troubled times that we might face as God's people. What Peter does is he gives three Old Testament quotes to really solidify our understanding of who Jesus is as our cornerstone, the cornerstone of God's spiritual house. You see, what's true about a cornerstone? In a building, it is the most central, most foundational stone. Everything else in the building was built off of it. Everything else in the building was shaped by it. The cornerstone at the center of it all. The cornerstone of God's spiritual house is Jesus, rejected by men, but in God's sight, what does Peter say? That he's chosen precious, honored. They rejected and killed him, but God raised and vindicated him. And so with this picture in mind, what Peter does in the rest of these verses six to eight is he says that Jesus divides the world into two. There are those who receive him and there are those who reject him. Well, growing up in, in our family, we, we often hosted a March Madness basketball party to watch the national championship game. And what my dad would do is he took a big piece of duct tape and he took it from the TV and laid it all the way down the house to the other side of the room. And when you came into the, the Panner household, you had to choose. <laughs> you were either for Duke or you were against Duke. (laughs) There is no middle ground when you're watching that game. (laughs) In a bigger way, Peter takes the duct tape and he lays it down in the middle of the world. And he says, this line is Jesus. And you either receive him or you reject him. You either stand on him or you stumble upon him. You are either for Jesus or you are against him. Some of you this morning may be considering the claims of Jesus. And I have to say, based on what Peter is saying, there's no middle ground with Jesus. But you are invited. You are invited to come to Christ, the cornerstone, and find salvation For your soul, the one who provides forgiveness, the one who provides life, the one who provides honor, the one who provides an eternal home. 
And yet it is also true that rejecting him means that you not only turn away from the one, the only one who has power to save, but those who reject Jesus, the end is dishonor and judgment in eternity. And so there's an invitation not to turn away from Jesus, but to come to Jesus today. And Peter is teaching that all who believe in Jesus will not be put to shame, but will be honored. But for those who don't believe in Jesus, Jesus is not a stone of safety, but a stone of stumbling. So no matter what position or power or prestige someone may have in the world, rejecting Jesus in this life means stumbling in eternity. And so I invite you to come to Jesus, the living stone. We receive him or we reject him. And this text says that this is part of the sovereign, mysterious plan of God. And whether it's the disobeying Jesus that's destined by God or whether it's the stumbling that comes from disobeying Jesus that is destined by God, Peter wants the church to know at the end of this section that God has sovereign control over every aspect from the church to the world to the church's troubles in the world. It is not outside of God's hand, but it is under his sovereign purposes. Jesus is either a stone of salvation or a stone of stumbling, a stone of safety or a stone of judgment, a stone of honor or a stone of dishonor. But those who believe will not be put to shame because just as Jesus was honored, Jesus was chosen, Jesus was precious in God's sight, so too everybody who comes to him is honored and precious and chosen in God's sight. The church, as a spiritual house, has great privileges, great purpose, great confidence when we come to Jesus. What are some implications for us when we think about this section up to this point? Thinking about in the back of our minds, how can we bear the weight of troubled times that we are facing right now? When you face rejection and when you face suffering for Jesus Christ, know this, Jesus faced it first. Jesus is the cornerstone that sets the pattern for all the living stones. When we face those realities, we're not abandoned by God. Jesus was rejected and yet he was chosen and precious and honored in the sight of God. So too us. In God's sight, you are chosen, you are precious, you are honored, not abandoned. God's presence dwells in you. Though the world may try to reject the church, there is a promise for no shame for all eternity in God's presence forever. You may face vicious attacks now, but you will receive final vindication in glory You may be humiliated in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, you are honored. You may be mocked before men, but before God, you will not be put to shame. Church, we have an identity that can strengthen us in these troubled times. But the same identity also is to shape us. It's to shape us to engage the world around us. 
What did Peter call us to do? Peter calls us as the church to offer our whole lives as a sacrificial worship to God. Let me tell you, we don't stop being living stones when we leave this gathering. That continues. We don't stop being a holy priesthood when we leave here and go on our work week. From the church to the community and from our work to our leisure, from school to summer, from friends to family, from politics to economics, from body to mind, from words to actions, from desires to deeds. We are called to offer our whole selves to God as a spiritual sacrifice everywhere, in every place, offering all of ourselves to God through Jesus Christ. We're called to be spiritual sacrifices. But not only that, as we think about how this identity shapes us, Peter has clearly stated that Jesus is the cornerstone, that he's the stone of stumbling for those who don't believe. But there's a problem throughout church history, and it's this, that Christians, not Christ, have often been a stumbling block to those who don't know Christ. Whether it's through harsh words, immoral behavior, ungodly tones, grievous divisions, verbal attacks, and more, Christians are prone to place a stumbling block in front of others that is not Jesus. I was grieved to think about that in my own life this week. What stumbling blocks have I put in front of other people that have caused them to not encounter Jesus but has turned them away from him? I wonder how you think about that in your own life. And some of you here don't know Christ. And with sadness, I do acknowledge that the church has put wrong stumbling blocks in front of you, maybe pushing you away from Jesus. But what Peter is wanting to do is he's wanting to reshape our identity as a church so that we can remove those wrong stumbling blocks and cause people to actually encounter Christ himself. So College Church, what stumbling blocks are you putting before others that is not Jesus? With your words, at work, or online, are they becoming a stumbling block? Is your behavior in the community becoming a stumbling block? Is your tone becoming a stumbling block? Now Peter is clear, we need to be engaging the world We should not avoid the world. We should not assimilate to the world. We should not attack the world, but seek to engage the world for Christ. But are our words and behavior and tone not being a stumbling block, but actually being a spotlight on the person and work of Jesus Christ? And perhaps if we live in such a way, we may lead people to encounter Jesus, the true cornerstone And they will either come to him for salvation or stumble. May we as a church offer spiritual sacrifices with our whole lives. And may we shed light on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the only one who can offer hope in the world in these troubled times. With our last few minutes here, 
Peter not only describes the church as a spiritual house, he also has this image for us that we need to take with us throughout the week to strengthen us and also shape us as we face these troubled times. What is it? That we are a treasured people. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Those who come to Jesus, what does he say? He says, you're a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's possession. All of these allusions here from the Old Testament to give the church assurance in their identity in Jesus. From these references in Exodus 19, what happened to Israel in Exodus 19? God had redeemed his people from bondage to Pharaoh. And God speaks these words to them to say, you, the ones who I have rescued and redeemed, you are my treasured possession. You're chosen out of all the nations, not because of your greatness, but because of my grace. They belonged to God. And along with references to Isaiah 43, Peter is communicating that all of these promises, all of these purposes that God made to Israel have now been fulfilled in the church. The church is now God's treasured people that belongs to God. Years ago, I remember sitting at a dinner table of a family who had an adopted young boy. And one thing struck me throughout that dinner table. Every time the dad addressed this child, he intentionally called him son. Son, come here. Son, did, did you hear your mom? Son, let's, let's greet our guests. Son, how was your dinner? Good night, son. Always referring to him as son. This boy already belonged to the family. He was brought in. He was welcomed in. But the the dad reminded him day after day that he was his treasured son, belonging to the family fully and completely. And so church... Hear these words from Moses all the way to Isaiah that God has a message for us today. You belong to me. You are my people, my treasured possession, my holy priesthood. You're mine. You belong to me. And so when the world around us is speaking all kinds of words to us and about us, Because we're Christians, hear Peter's voice from the scriptures loud and clear. You belong to God as his treasured possession. And as God's treasured people, he adds to our purpose, does he not? What does he say? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a beautiful picture of worship and witness for the church. So what is it? When we gather as a church, what is going on? We're proclaiming God's excellencies. We're praising his glory. We are declaring his praise. The one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But it's not only when we gather as a church... But when we scatter into the world, 
As God's treasured people, what is it that we do? We proclaim his greatness. We proclaim his glory. So I wonder for us, College Church, what is Wheaton hearing us proclaim? Is it the excellencies of our financial portfolio? Is it the excellencies of our kids' performance? Is it the excellencies of our building? Is it the excellencies of our political parties? Is it the excellencies of our personal achievements? Is it the excellencies of our spiritual heroes? Or is it the excellencies of God who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light? Friends, Wheaton is not exempt from the troubles of this world. What is true? Wheaton needs Christ. And so Wheaton needs to hear loudly and yet also lovingly of the glories and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ who can bring them out of darkness and into light. Is that what Wheaton is hearing from College Church? We're God's treasured possession and we're called to proclaim those excellencies. But why? He ends and raises our affections even more by saying we we do this as God's treasured people proclaiming God's excellencies to the world because we have received mercy in verse 10. We've received mercy. Peter points to the story of Hosea and Gomer. And if you know this story, Gomer was an adulterous wife and yet God called Hosea, the husband, to go again, to love her, to redeem her, to bring her back, to show her mercy. And Hosea's marriage was a picture of God's relationship to Israel. And it's a picture of God's relationship even to us. We lived in rebellion. We've abandoned God. Once we were not God's people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy mercy. So if you're a Christian here today, Peter gives us one word to describe our testimony. We could sum it up in one word, mercy. Mercy. Somebody asks you, tell tell me your life story. Mercy. I've received mercy. Do you remember the days before Christ? Darkness, sadness, sin, But God, rich in mercy, has showed us mercy by bringing us out of darkness into his light so that we could know his forgiveness and his life and have a new identity and a new community. And so you might be here today and you need to hear that no matter where you have been, what you have done, what sin you are enslaved to today, what you're carrying with you today. God is rich in mercy. And if you come to him today, you can know his mercy and receive his mercy and join the anthem of the church that says, once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy because I came to Christ and I know his goodness. So friends, we're facing trouble in many different directions because of following Jesus. But no matter what others will say, we're treasured by God. 
because of Jesus. We're longing to impact the world around us and the troubles that the world is facing. Our purpose is clear. We're to proclaim his excellencies and tell of God's mercy. So, oh, dear college church, trouble weighs a ton. But remember your identity, spiritual house, treasured people, strengthened by Christ to bear the weight of those troubled times, shaped by him, standing on him to bear witness to the world that needs him. May God help us as we do that this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that guides us and instructs us and leads us. I pray that you would help us as we go out these doors, as your people, that we would proclaim your excellencies, that we would offer our whole lives to you as a spiritual sacrifice of worship and that we would share of your mercy and worship you as the one who has shown us mercy. Help us, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.